Thanks for joining the Church at Nolensville Sermon Podcast. We exist to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Anytime, anywhere, with anybody. Good morning. If you're new, uh, my name is Wade Owens. I'm the campus and teaching pastor here. We're so glad that you're here. Appreciated what Randy said. Hey, and if you're a guest, just want to double down. Take that card and the seat back in front of you. Fill it out. Give us your information. We're not going to call you. We're not going to stop by your house. You're not going to see us on your ring doorbell. We just want to follow up on your experience and help you in any way move from, hey, just being here to belonging. And we're excited about what Jesus is doing in the church at Nolansville. And right now we're in week three of a series called The Big Story, and this series helps you understand the big narrative of the Bible, where if you understand what's happening in the big story, then you understand the entire point of the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and there's one big story being told, and it's that God made everything beautiful and glorious, and that there really was paradise and Adam and Eve, and God walked and talked with us, that it was spectacular, But Adam and Eve really did sin, and that really did corrupt the entire world, and the world is now brokenness. So we have creation, and then we have the fall, or brokenness. And this week, what we're going to look at is redemption, that that God didn't leave us in brokenness, but he offered redemption in this world as we're headed to ultimate restoration where we get to be with our king yet again. And I love being able to give you a complete picture of what God is doing in the scriptures. And as we begin today, I want to begin with the idea that I think we all internally know, and it's this, everybody longs in some way or another to be chosen. Everybody, everybody wants someone to say to you, Hey, I want you as a child. We, we long for friendships, someone to choose us as our friend. As we get a little bit older, it's a sports team or an extracurricular activity. And, and then not long, we, we want to catch the eye of another. And then we want a college to say, I want you. We want to get married. We want someone else to say, I want you. Then we want a career. We want an employer to say, hey, I want you. There's not, there's not a stage in our life. When we don't want someone to say to us, I want you, we all long to be chosen. How many of y'all show of hands watch reality TV? Just want to know who to pray for. It's the only reason I'm asking. (laughs) But most reality TV shows have to do with someone or something being chosen. I mean, think about the bachelor or the bachelorette. The only thing I'll say to you ladies is this. If you're single in here and you feel like you have to fight for a guy's attention through a group of gals, you don't want that dude. Amen? You want a guy that can be in a a room full of other people and only see you. That's another sermon, but I'm just throwing it out there. But think about like the voice. If you've watched the voice, a contestant comes out to sing and the judges are sitting in chairs, but their back is turned to the contestant and the contestant begins to sing. And if a judge likes what he hears, he presses a button and their chair turns around. And you know what's written on the bottom of the chair? I want you. Everything in our culture helps us realize that we really do long for someone to say, I want you. And it's, it's hardwired inside of us. It's because God placed that, that good desire inside of us, that, that desire to be wanted. 
The problem is, however, that if we don't look to God to, to meet that natural desire, then what happens is we try to fulfill it ourselves. And when we try to fulfill it ourselves, we never end up with God's best. And that doesn't lead us down any healthy roads. One of the deepest wounds that a, that a person can carry is, is the father wound. They, they, they never felt, hey, I, I want you. And they grew up wondering, does somebody want me? Does somebody long for me? Counselors would say it's one of the number one issues that they face in counseling is them coming along and saying, hey, am I not wanted? Did someone not want me? So we all have baggage. We all have wounds. We all have things that we carry. I mean, I do. You do. It's true for, for all of us. But I'm here to declare to you today that there is a God, the living God, and he wants to say to you, I want you. Regardless of your story, regardless of your background, regardless of the brokenness that you feel, regardless of what's happening in your life, God would want to say to you, I want you. And as we look at the scriptures today, I want you to see God saying, I'll choose you. With all of your hurts, with all of your baggage, I want you. And listen, the reality is, regardless of your story, you're not a burden to God. You're not an unwanted spiritual pregnancy. We're not shifted upon or placed upon God. Here, take this. No, no, God says, no, no, in fact, I, I, want, I want you. And the passage that we're going to read today, whether you first see it or not, it really does scream, I want you. And it's found in the book of Romans chapter three. And I invite you to stand together with me as we read from God's word. And I tell you every week, I really do encourage you to bring a copy of God's word for yourself. I don't want you to, to, to think that I'm making this up. I want you to see this for yourself. We preach from the CSB version here. If you want to get a copy of the scriptures that syncs up with us, but did you know, not only reading the word of God yourself, but taking notes increases your retention 40%. And if you then go back and look back at your notes once that week, retention goes up to 80%. So we want to say, hey, let's take our spiritual growth seriously. So bring a Bible, bring something to write with, bring something to write on. We're in Romans chapter 3, familiar verse for some. We're going to read 23 through 25. Let's go to 22. The righteousness of God, Paul says, is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him, that's Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So God, I, I pray that that, just that truth would just resonate in our hearts, that you long to choose us. And if you've already paid for our freedom, you've already paid for our new life through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son. So God, call us all of us to you today in Jesus name. And the church said, amen. amen. Y'all be seated. 
So in this series today, we're picking up in the book of Romans and the book of Romans is all about God, who he is, what he has done, what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And the the whole point of the book of Romans is for Paul to lay out doctrine, truths about who God is and why we need new life in him. And it's kind of packaged in four different sections. The first three chapters tell us that we really do need righteousness. Righteousness is right standing before God. So the first three chapters, Paul makes a case that, hey, you don't have any righteousness of your own. You really do need something other than yourself to be in right standing before God. That's the first three chapters. And then he transitions in the next couple of chapters to tell us, hey, how righteousness has been provided. We didn't earn it. We didn't do it. But but somehow God provided righteousness for us. He, he gave us a way to be back in right standing for him. And then the next couple of chapters, Paul argues and defends the righteousness that God provides on our behalf. And then he rounds the book out by saying, hey, now that you have a new righteousness in Christ, this is how your life should look. And and Romans, man, it tells us all about ourselves, who we are apart from Christ and what it looks like to live with Christ. And Paul is writing to a church in Rome. And as a Roman citizen, he's got a lot of passion for them to see their faith grow and to see them come. Come to new life. He hasn't visited them yet, but he has a lot of passion for his fellow brothers and sisters. And so this letter kind of serves as an introduction to a church. And, and Paul right now, as we pick up in three, he's transitioning between, hey, there's righteousness that you need that you just don't have. You don't have right standing before God. He's transitioning from that to, hey, well, well righteousness has been provided. So what you're seeing in verses 23 and 24 is kind of that transition. You don't got it, but, but, but God gives it. And so here's what I want to do. Let's start back in verse 23 and we'll look here. And you're probably very familiar with this verse, but it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you have any background in a Baptist church or church, you're probably very familiar with this. We're not really familiar with what happens after this verse, but we know this verse. But even if, even if you know it, I just want to point out a few things that, that really stand out in this verse. First thing is this. What's this word? You know what the word all means? Now, thank you over here, my brother. All means all. So you know what that means about you? Look at your neighbor and say he's talking about you. Now look right back at him and say, and you too, brother or sister, whoever you are, for all, everyone, every human that has ever been alive or will be alive on planet earth for all, Paul says, have what? Sinned. And see, our sin has a problem because this is, this is the problem. We fall short and we don't fall short of, of other humans. We don't fall short of human expectations. We don't fall short of anything other than what? The glory of God. And remember, Paul is transitioning from, hey, you, you don't have any righteousness of your own. And then he's going to tell us where it comes from. But, but when he's talking about the fact that you don't have any righteousness of your own, he's just being brutally Honest, And the reality is, I think honesty is very, very refreshing. And our culture doesn't necessarily celebrate uh, honesty. I mean, how often, we talked about this last week, does your life just feel like it's in shambles? You're just a hot mess. And you walk into church and someone says, hey, how are you? And you say what? Fine, great, good, hashtag blessings. 
That's why you take 72 pictures before you post it on Instagram just to get the right picture. And if it's a family picture, man, that could take hours and two of them got a beating and one of them got grounded just to get that image. Hey, we, we got it all together. But can, can, can we just be honest for a minute and say there's nothing courageous about you wearing a mask and pretending like you're something that you're not. I love to sit down with people that say, man, I feel like I'm a wreck. I know that God wants to do something inside of me. And man, I'm trying to follow Jesus. Or I'm trying to figure out who Jesus is. And I know something different needs to happen. But man, I'm, I'm soaking it all up. Because see, in, in that honesty, there can be growth. There can be new life, but without honesty, there's rarely growth. I mean, so in January, when those of you who chose to start working out again, when in January, I know it's not now, but in January, when you were working out, when you walked into the gym, if, if you weren't honest about where you needed to start, then growth or positive change was never going to happen. So Kim and I work, all, work out off and on throughout the years. But I remember years ago when we started working out again, I was like, I'm going to go in and show her what a man I am. Go back to the glory days of when I used to work out. I said, I was like, put 315 on the bench. Do you know what would happen if I would have tried to lift that? I would have crushed my chest. Because cause, cause without honesty, there's, gonna, there's not going to be any growth. The reality is I, I had to be really honest and be like, hey, baby, I'm sorry, but I just got to start with the bar. You know, <laughs> I just got to start right here. And if there's going to be growth and, and change and new life in your heart, healing in your soul, you, you have to be honest, not only with yourself, but with what the word of God says. Because it's the word of God never changes. It stands alone. And the Bible says that, that this is true. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there's a lot of theologies about where sin comes from. But the problem is we think sin is activities. Like lying, cheating, murdering, stealing. Really, really big sins. Like rooting for the Big Ten and not the SEC. Major things. And so what happens is we think sin is activity and it's not an issue of the heart. And so because we don't think it's an issue of the heart, what we do is we, we play the comparison game where we say, hey, I'm really good because I'm surrounded by people who are really bad. So look how good I am and I'm, I'm basing my worth on how bad that they are. So I compare myself to others around. So, so think about driving on the interstate. You're on I-65, you're I-24. Anybody that you drive faster than, you look over to the slow cars and go, moron. But, but, but anybody that's driving faster than you, that's passing you, you look at them and go, maniac. So you know what's true about the cars that are passing you? You know what they're saying about you? Moron. And when you're passing cars on the interstate, you know what those cars are saying about you? Maniac. It's because we try to compare ourselves to others. And listen, it doesn't matter what any person on planet Earth's opinion is of you. And it really doesn't matter what your opinion of someone else is because you and I are not the judge. And we don't determine righteousness. God does. And God said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we've all sinned because sin is something that we're born into. 
And anyone that doesn't believe that sin is something that we're born into, that it's just a part of who we are, has never raised kids. Because kids are beautiful, and they're amazing, and they're cute, and they're cuddly, and they're selfish little liars. (laughs) Kids don't learn everything that they do from their environment. Some of that sin is just born inside of them. Take biting, for instance. Any of y'all have a biter? Like three people like, yes, and he is 16 still, you know. (laughs) But let's take, for instance, say if I had a biter in my house. There's never been a time in my life where my wife and I have been sitting on the couch. And let's just say she's watching HGTV and I want to watch the game. And I grab the remote to change the channel and she bites me until I let it go. Not everything that our kids do that's sinful did they learn from environment. It's because sin is not activities or learned behavior. It begins as a state of the heart. And if we don't embrace that, then God becomes very insignificant and we become very significant. But the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God created creation. It was glorious and beautiful and perfect and right. But our first parents sinned, and because they sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But listen, God didn't leave us there. God intervened. God intervened in redemption. And that's what you're going to see next in verse 24 is this. Look, he intervenes. They, that, that's, that's referring back to the all from 23. So all have sinned, but now they... They are what? They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All have sinned, but now they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Paul says elsewhere, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God so that no man may boast. And every religion on planet earth would say something along this lines. Here's a list of things that you need to do in order to make yourself acceptable before God. Here's the set of rules that you need to follow. And if you follow them well, at the end of your life, if your good works outweigh your bad works, then you're headed to heaven. And if throughout your life, if you are morally superior to those who are around you, then you have a good chance of going to heaven. Christianity says the opposite. Christianity says all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. But we've been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's, it's, it's incredibly different. And I, wanna, I just want to give you a couple of definitions. Because these words like justified and grace and redemption, man, they are weighty words. So just a couple of definitions to understand. Justified. Listen, th- think about what this means. To declare righteous. To make one right with God. Remember, we're reading in the book of Romans where Paul is making the transition between you don't have any righteousness of your own, but it's been provided for you. So Paul says, God now declares this over you. Paul didn't say once you earned it, once you completed a list, once you cleaned your life up, you justified yourself. No, the Bible says you're sinners, but God declared righteousness over you. I made you now right with me. That's, that's justified. The next word here, grace. God's favor towards what? 
the unworthy. So what that means is you and I don't clean our lives up and then God goes, oh man, look at that one. I'll choose that person. In other places, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. While we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. So, so he gives us his favor when we're unworthy. And I don't know about y'all, but the reality that I get to sit in the fact that I didn't have to clean myself up. I didn't have to pretend. I didn't have to wear a mask. I didn't have to try to work out this thing for God to love me. That God freely, with all of my brokenness and all of my shame and all of my guilt, said, hey, come here. Hey, come here. Hey, come home. I will make you right with me. I will give you my favor. And then lastly, the word that's in that verse is redemption. To be purchased out of slavery, purchased, bought with a price, which was the shedding of Jesus's blood. Literally sin had us in bondage in slavery. And God said, I'm going to buy you out of that. God didn't leave us in verse 23 for all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. He intervened into our life, justified us, Gave us his grace, gave us his redemption. He intervened in our life. Question, show of hands. How many of you parents have ever intervened in the life of your kid? Others of you should, you probably should. Um, I remember one time my, my parents intervening, well, multiple times, but one really stands out. And anytime a parent wants to intervene in the life of their kids, the kids typically say something very similar. They say something like this, you're ruining my what? You're ruining my, yeah. Well, sometime when I was around the age of not real bright, um, GI Joe was popular on TV. I'm a child of the eighties. I grew up in the struggle and I decided that me and my buddy Luke, were going to climb this two or three story tall tree. And we got sheets out of the uh, bedroom and we tied them around our neck, like capes, like paratroopers. And we climbed up to like two or three stories high in that tree. And we were getting ready to jump down like paratroopers on snake eyes and put a smack down. And we were just prepared for launch. And my dad walks outside and says, Hey, what are you doing? Have you not seen G.I. Joe? Me and Luke here are about to paratroop down on snake eyes. He's like, oh, no, you're not. And you know what I said? You're ruining mine. He's like, you get down here, I'm going to ruin your bottom. (laughs) And I came down. My dad intervened in my life. I didn't get it then. But my dad says, hey, man, you carry my name. I give you my resources and I give you a yard to play in. I give you a family and a life and protection. And when I see you headed towards death, I intervene. Because I love you and I care about you. And if an earthly father intervenes in the life of his kids, how much more does the perfect heavenly father intervene in our life? And verse 23, we're headed for death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We're headed that way because of sin and brokenness. But God says, I'm going to intervene with my son, Jesus. And I created you and I made you and I will justify you and give you grace and redeem you. And I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I will love you with a never ending, never stopping, always and forever love. Because that's just, that's just who I am. And some of you have never known a love that pure. You had to work for it, make a certain grade, 
dress a certain way, earn a certain amount of money. You had to earn your approval. You had to earn your love your entire life. And then you project that on God the Father, but please don't. And I get why you would. I had those same struggles, but the God of the Bible is not like broken earthly men and women. He has a perfect love. And most everyone that I talk to, they struggle going, man, when I stand before God, how am I going to know that I've done enough to get there and be accepted? How do I know that when I stand before God, I'm going to be loved and accepted and fully known and fully loved? How do I know? Because they're, they're trying to earn it. But God just told us how you know in verse 24. He says, you've been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And you get a new identity and a new destiny and a new dignity and a new name. And I know some of you have sinned in ways that you'll never feel like you can take back. This is going to define you for the rest of your life. And it may even hit you right now as we talk about being forgiven. And you think, I'm never going to feel whole. I'm never going to feel that way. Listen, I can't speak for how others are going to respond to you. I can't speak for how others are going to treat you, but I really do as the pastor have the honor of speaking to the one who created the world. And I know how he responds. And he responds by justifying you freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And you can be made whole, new, son, daughter. You can be made clean. Because we don't bring anything to the table. That's what makes the cross so glorious. And because Jesus left heaven, came to earth, was crucified, buried, and resurrected, and put death to death. Listen, Jesus now has authority over your past. And if Jesus has authority over your past, then your past doesn't get to define you anymore. He does. And so now we're marked with a new name and a new legacy and a new identity. We'll illustrate it this way. There's a pastor who tells a kind of famous story. It's not original to me, but it's, it's a true story. And I think it makes a great point. So the pastor talks about a, a couple that was married a little bit later in life, got saved, got connected into his church. And for the first two years, in their marriage, things were just great. They were growing in the Lord. They were serving. Man, they were just absolutely seeing some of the best years of their life. And then things began to get a little tough. Things got a little harder. And for the next 18 months to two years, it just always felt like there was this rub and this disconnect. And they couldn't figure out, at least he couldn't figure out why. And they went to counseling and they tried to get help. And finally, one day, his wife sat down with him on the couch, just streaming with tears and said, I got to talk to you. I know why our marriage is hurting and it's struggling and it's so difficult at this point. And he's like, baby, just tell me. She said, no, if I tell you, you're going to leave. And he said, listen, there's nothing you can tell me that's going to make me leave. And she started crying even more. And she said, I was unfaithful two years ago in our marriage. And he didn't say a word. But within about a minute, he was on his feet and out the door. And it seemed like her worst fears were coming true in that moment. And so she just kind of melted into the couch and just continued to cry and bawl for the next hour and a half, just trying to pull herself together to figure out how she's going to kind of break what's been broken. And in her mind, everything is ruined and forgotten. And she's just trying to figure out what to do next. And to her surprise, the door opens 
and her husband walks back in. True story. And he has a gift. And so she's wondering what the gift is. And he comes over to her and he stands her up. He doesn't say a word. But he looks in her eye and he opens the gift and he puts on this brand new, beautiful, clean white robe on her. He ties it around her waist. He looks deep into her eyes. And the first thing he says is, Jesus has declared you clean and forgiven. That's how he sees you. And I will see you the same way from every day forward. There's, There's nothing in our life that the cross hasn't paid for. There's nothing in our life that the cross doesn't forgive. That's what makes the cross so glorious. And it's not like God just winked at sin. Oh, it's not a big deal. No, his wrath burns against it. That's why he sent his son who was crucified and buried. But because he has power over sin and power over death, Jesus kicked the end out of a borrowed tomb and came back to life. And now... Through the redemption that he offers, we don't have to stay in brokenness anymore. He created it, we broke it, but he redeems us. And he puts us on a path back to full paradise once again. And if there's anything you can do to earn your salvation, then you don't have a very secure salvation. But you can't earn it. God himself provides it. And so you can sleep easy tonight because we're fully forgiven, given his grace and redeemed. That's why we cling to the cross. And so we're going to have a really special opportunity here in a moment to observe the Lord's Supper. And then we're going to see people baptized who have come to faith just in the last couple of weeks here. But before we do that, I want to I want to give those of you in the room an opportunity who who are not followers of Jesus. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe you disagree with most everything that I said, but I want to continue the conversation. Or for those of you whose heart feels stirred right now and you feel like, I know that there's nothing I can do to get to God, but I hear now that there is a way and his name is Jesus. And you want to respond. I want to give you that moment right now. Every Sunday since we've met in this building so far, someone has given their life to Jesus Christ. And Maybe that's you today. And if that's you today, here's what I want you to do. After we pray together, there's a card in the seat back in front of you. I want you to take that card and I want you to fill it out. And on that card, there's a place where you can say, I want to know and follow Jesus. You fill that out, turn it in. Me and my team are personally going to follow up with you and grab coffee and celebrate with you. But in this moment, you can surrender your life to Jesus and be known and made whole by him. And it's as simple as praying and asking Say, God, would you, would you do in my life what you've done in so many others? Would you forgive my sin and would you justify me and give me your grace and make me your son or daughter? And if you want to do that, that's all you have to do is ask. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So why not today? Let's pray together. So Jesus... I pray for the person in the room that needs to give their life to you in this moment right now, in this space. Would you call them to yourself? Would you call them in this moment to cry out to Jesus as their Savior? In the best way they know have, give give all of themselves to you and, and take all of you into their life. Would you save them and make them new in Jesus' name? 
amen. If that's you, fill out that card. We're not gonna embarrass you, we're gonna celebrate with you. Fill it out and turn it in like so many others have.